Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Good. Awesome. So before we get started with Mass, I'm going to have a little bit of explanation time before Mass to kind of get into what we're going to be going through tonight. So this is called a teaching Mass. So as we're celebrating Mass this evening, I will make a lot of different stops to kind of explain what we're doing, why we're doing it, where it's coming from. Also, you'll be able to know that there's a lot of prayers that normally Deacon and myself say silently. We'll be saying those out loud so that you can hear those prayers as well, so that it doesn't just look like us doing these random things, bowing and kneeling and just having random movements. There's actually some method behind why we say what we say, why we're doing what we're doing. Now, one of the things I want to talk about before we get started, though, is tradition. When we talk about Mass, we talk about a long tradition of Mass. Up until 1965, right before the Second Vatican Council ended, everything prior to then is a little bit different than how Mass is said now. Mass used to be said in Latin. Does anybody speak Latin? Me neither. But there are some phrases that have continued in our Mass that we still, as a community, pray throughout the year in Latin. But since that change happened in 1965 from the traditional Mass, the Latin Rite Mass, to what's called now the Novus Ordo, there are some very big changes outside of just the language that's used during Mass. So now Mass is no longer in Latin. It's in what's called the vernacular. Does anybody know what the word vernacular means? The common used tongue. So whatever the language of the land is, typically is the language that the Mass is now celebrated in. So here in the United States, typically the two languages you'll hear the most are English and Espanol. See. We will normally have Masses in English and in Spanish. Currently here, we only have Mass in English, but in Clinton, Mass in English and Spanish. We actually have other parishes in our diocese that have Mass in other languages. We have a parish called San Andrew Dung Lac from Vietnam. Their Mass every Sunday in Vietnamese. The parish I came from, Corpus Christi, half of their congregation is from the country of Myanmar, and they have Mass every weekend in the Zopau native tribal language. We also have a church in Oklahoma City called Korean Martyrs, and guess what language their mass is in? It's in English, of course. No, it's the Korean. Yes, it's the Korean. So that's one of the big changes that happened when the mass began to take on a new form in 1965. One of the other big changes, and this is kind of making a push back with some of the younger priests, is something called saying mass ad orientum. Does anybody know what that means? towards the east. Practically what that means, in all of the old churches, you would have the altar behind the church, or behind the altar, connected with the altar, you would have the tabernacle, and it would be called a high altar. So there'd be no way for me to celebrate Mass from here, because this is where the tabernacle would be. So if you go into a lot of older churches, in fact, if you go to many churches in Europe today, Mass will always be celebrated ad orientum in many churches because there's no other option. A lot of churches have built a stand-alone altar, like our altar here, because there's no tabernacle attached to it. And so traditionally, if there's no altar attached, you stand on that side and you face the people ad populo, towards the people. But if you go to a place and you see the priest celebrating Mass like this, it's not because he doesn't want to see you. It's not because he wants you to look at the bald spot on the back of his head. It's because he's practicing the Mass in the older, more traditional way, ad orientum. And why did the priest used to pray that way? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. The prime reason is, as the priest, I am presiding over the liturgy. I'm not, the majority of the prayers that come out of my mouth are not addressed to the congregation, but are addressed to God. And so when I'm facing the altar and the tabernacle's there and Christ is present in the tabernacle, most churches, what is right above the tabernacle that isn't above the tabernacle in our church? A crucifix. So you'll notice on every altar that is a standalone altar, there's a crucifix. 
but it's placed here, as my back is to the tabernacle, I'm still praying to Christ in the crucifix, the crucified Christ, but the image here versus the real presence there. Does that make sense? So if you go to a place and you see the priest celebrating Mass like this, don't think that he doesn't like you. Don't think that he doesn't love you. He loves you just as much as everybody else. It's just a different way of celebrating the liturgy. In fact, we have multiple parishes in our diocese where this happens for daily Mass. This happens for weekend Mass pretty much all the time. So we talk about what are big T, capital T traditions, and small T traditions. Capital T traditions are things that we don't, as priests, have the right or the ability to change. Mass, no matter what country you go to, will be the same for the most part. Different language. So when I went on um, a retreat, my diaconate year, and we went to Switzerland and celebrated Mass in Switzerland, their native tongue was either Swiss or German. So they would say, the Lord be with you, and I'd say, und mit deinem Geiste, and with your spirit, in German. That's all I remember. Don't ask for anything more. But the Mass, wherever you go, we can follow along. Now, local traditions, local groups, tend to have some customs that they do. Some places, people use their hands a lot, even in the Catholic Church. So if I were to say, the Lord be with you, some of you may respond with, and with your spirit. Some of you may respond with, and with your spirit. Some of you may respond with, because that means you're not paying attention, or you don't want to be there. I understand that. But what is the proper form of responding? The little t tradition, each community is a little bit different. The same thing when it comes to holding hands. Some places during the Our Father, the community all holds hands. Some places during the Our Father, the community doesn't hold hands. Small t tradition. We have some at both parishes that do this. We have some at both parishes that do this. We have some both parishes that do this. None of those are technically wrong. There are some postures, though, that are reserved or meant for just the priest to use. Do you guys know what this position is called? It's called the Oron's position. It's the prayer position of the priest. What does it look like? If, if I turn my hands from this to this, what does it look like? Being on a cross, crucified. The person of the priest is in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, when he celebrates the sacraments. So this position is technically reserved only for priests. Now you'll see in some places during the Our Father, people will stand there like this. You'll see in, in some um, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not ecclesial. Uh, more charismatic places, people will hold their hands up like this. Right or wrong, small t tradition. But there has been a big swing in the church to try and get away from the community holding their hands like this. If you do it, I'm not going to say anything. Nine times out of ten, my eyes are closed anyways because I'm trying to focus myself on the liturgy. Because unfortunately, I'm ADHD and an extrovert. Which means everything that you guys are doing has an opportunity to distract me. You guys see me and deacon, and the servers. I see all of you guys and everything that you're doing, from brushing your hair, to taking a nap, to picking your nose. I see it all. I know you try to hide it. I see it all. And so for me, it's the how do I, as the presider who is leading worship, how do I focus into the liturgy? You'll notice as we go along through Mass, Daily Mass is a little bit different from the weekend Mass that you would normally attend. Typically, on a weekend Mass, how many readings do we have? Trick question. Four. And the adults are like, wait, uh, no we don't, Father. We normally have the first reading, which is typically taken from the Old Testament or one of the letters from Paul. We have the New Testament, the second reading, and we have the Gospel. But wait a second, that's three readings. Where does the fourth reading come in? The responsorial psalm is a reading from Scripture. We have 150 psalms that we as the church, 
every time we celebrate Mass, we recite one of them. So that's actually our fourth reading any time you go to a Sunday service. For daily Mass, we normally have a first reading, responsorial, psalm, and gospel. Anytime you see me in this color for daily Mass, that's how it will be. But depending on the color of vestment that I'm wearing is what's called the solemnity or the way that we are called to elevate that actual service. So if I'm wearing white, two things are probably going to happen. One, we'll probably be singing or saying the Gloria like we would on Sunday. Two, we will probably have a second reading, which is technically the third reading, but the second reading, so we'll have all four like we would on Sunday, and depending on the level of solemnity, whether it is actual solemnity or feast day, we may also recite the creed. But for a daily mass, like today, we'll have a first reading, the psalm, the gospel. There's no Gloria, there's no creed. Mass is meant to be a little bit shorter. And then Father comes along and ruins it with a 35-minute homily, I understand. But my hopes through this Mass is that we can begin to gain a better grasp on what we're doing and why we're doing it when we come into this space. This space that we call the church is a building that is holy ground. Any church you walk into, the congregation is always separated from the space where the altar is. Did you notice that? What is this space called? Does anybody know? It's called the sanctuary. When we look back at the Jewish tradition in a Jewish temple, they would always have the sanctuary where they would keep the Holy of Holies behind a veil. We hear about this veil, this veil that, that hides death from our view, that only the priests could go behind. So technically, the only people that are supposed to come into the sanctuary area are ministers. That's why we had for a long time in the church, really through the first Vatican, Second Vatican Council, we had different orders before you become a deacon and a priest. Lectors wouldn't be laity, typically. You would be installed to the order of being a lector. You'd actually have to write a whole letter out. It takes forever because it's handwritten on paper that doesn't have lines. I don't know what's going on, but no lines, so my words go like this. You have to petition the bishop to become a lector. You have to petition the bishop to become an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. Why? Because you are welcomed beyond the veil into the sanctuary to be a minister in some service at the altar of God. Little tidbits that we've got there. But that's changed a lot because as fast as the church has grown in the last 2,000 years, there are over one billion, with a B, one billion Catholics in the world. Do you know what percentage of Catholics in the world live in the United States? 3. 3% of the Catholic population in the world lives in the United States. In fact, I mentioned this in a homily about two months ago. Africa, in 1910, had one million with an M Catholics in 1910. In 2020, they had over 200 million Catholics. In a hundred years, they grew to being larger than the United States has since our infancy and we became our own republic in 1776. That's right, I know my history. And so we have some of these things that we will learn as we go through Mass about what the structure of the church is. Anytime you walk into a Catholic church, what will you always find in the center of the church no matter what? Can't say crucifix because ours is off-centered. Off what is in the center of our church? The altar. You will rarely find a Catholic church that does not have an altar in the center. In many non-Catholic Christian churches, which we typically call Protestant churches, sometimes that's where they will have their ambo, where we preach from. Sometimes that's where they will have, if they have a big band, that's where they'll have their musicians set up. 
But if you walk into a church, no matter what the denomination is, the focal point is always sitting in the center. It's meant to grab our focus. And so there was a big push in the last 15 years or so to putting behind the altars, again, the most important focus we have when we come to church, which is not the altar. It's what's behind it. The tabernacle. Because after 1965, after the Second Vatican Council, many churches, when they tore down their high altars, moved the tabernacle either out of the sanctuary or out from behind the altar so they could then have Mass ad populo and not ad orientum. But there's been a big drive with people because, again, we want to get out of the mechanical going through the motions when we go to church If you walk into a Catholic church, what's the first thing you do before you go into your pew? You genuflect. What are we genuflecting to? The tabernacle. I can't tell you how many churches I've gone into, and I'm like, where's Jesus? I know he's here. Where is he? There's always two tricks to finding where the tabernacle is. One, you find the tabernacle. Two, the lamp next to the tabernacle, the tabernacle lamp. Whenever that lamp is lit, Christ is present in the tabernacle. The Eucharist is reposed. There is one day a year where there is no Eucharist in the tabernacle. Does anybody know what day that is? Good Friday, which is also the one day a year we are forbidden. Not told not to. We are forbidden from celebrating the Mass on Good Friday. So the services we have on Good Friday, we never call it Mass, unless it's just a slip of the tongue. There is no such thing as a Good Friday Mass. It's a Good Friday service. That's why that service tends to be a little shorter, kind of, because we have the reverence of the the cross as well. But outside of that, it goes a little faster. Why? Because there's no consecration. Why? Because we can't celebrate Mass, which is where the consecration happens. Any questions before we get started? Okay. Please stand. You are just, O Lord, and your judgment is right. Treat your servant in accord with your merciful love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Now let's stop right there. What things have already taken place? We genuflected before coming into the sanctuary, showing reverence to the place, but also to Christ present in the place. Deacon and I came around the altar, and we both kissed the altar. We kiss the altar because in every consecrated altar is what's called an altar piece. And in the altar stone is a relic of a saint. This brings us back to the first and second century understanding when they would go to the the catacombs in Rome and they would celebrate mass in the catacombs with their recently deceased loved ones. This still happens today where you can find large headstones in catacombs that they made into altars that are actually on top of the casket itself. Kind of weird, I understand that, but it's one of the traditional things that we do that in every altar there is an altar stone that has a relic, which is a part of um, the body of one of the saints in heaven. So both this altar, the altar in the chapel, and the altar at Queen of All Saints all have what are called altar stones. Then you notice we didn't sing when we came in, right? One, Kathy's gone for today. She didn't have any music. But you probably noticed that I said a refrain before we did the sign of the cross, right? That's called an entrance antiphon. And technically, when we sing the refrain on the way in, there are, there's a whole book full of antiphons that go at the beginning of Mass, 
go after receiving communion or right before receiving communion and then have one for dismissal as well. So if there's no music, you're supposed to say those. Depending on daily mass, most times I remember, sometimes in Sayer I forget. But I do the best that I can because it's not something that we typically do because nine times out of ten that I'm celebrating mass, we have music. And then we begin with the sign of the cross. Why do we begin with the sign of the cross? Because our life in faith began with that sign of the cross. When we were baptized, whether it be in this baptismal font or wherever we were baptized, we were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why at the entrances of churches you will always find holy water so that we can remind ourselves whose we are. We are the fathers, the sons, and the Holy Spirit. That that is why we are here. And then what did Christ tell us? When you go into a home, he told his disciples, bless them and offer them your peace. And if your peace remains upon them, leave. But if they offer it back, stay there and eat with them. So when we begin Mass and they say, the Lord be with you, and you say, and with your spirit, the peace return to me. So I stay and we celebrate a great meal that we call Mass. And so my brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Now, it may seem weird when we are going through this awesome celebration of spending time and celebrating this Mass to think about our sins. Why would we want to call to mind those things that separate us from God? Because God has seen them. God has witnessed every single one of our sins, and his only response is a response of love, a response of mercy, a response of compassion. He wants us to come back to him, to offer those sins to him, so that he can forgive us. Because remember, there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and it's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is believing that God does not have the power or the ability to forgive sins, so you don't ask for forgiveness. So why is that the only unforgivable sin? Because he's not going to force it upon you, and you, if you don't ask for forgiveness, he can't give it. And so when we come to the altar, the perfect way to start is to say, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. That's why we, some of us, sometimes we pray what's called the confidior, which is, oh my God, I'm sorry for my sins. No, that's the wrong one. That's the act of contrition. Um, help me out here, deacon. I confess to Almighty God. So sometimes we'll say that one in the same way. Sorry, my brain's going a million miles an hour. Uh, so sometimes we will have that as an option. And then at the end, notice I will always say, or the priest will always say, may Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Why? Because any sins that we present to God and in front of his altar at that time, he is absolving us from at that time outside of mortal sins. So if we have venial sins in our hearts and we present them to the Lord then, he forgives us. Why? Because when we receive the Eucharist later on in the Mass, we want to do so with a clear mind, a clear conscience, and a free heart. Not bound by sin, but freed by God's grace. And so by him, by us bringing those sins, asking his forgiveness, he then gives us forgiveness. We can then properly enter into the liturgy of the Mass. Let us pray. O God, by whom we are redeemed and receive adoption, look graciously upon your beloved sons and daughters, that those who believe in Christ may receive true freedom and an everlasting inheritance. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. 
Brothers and sisters, in regard to virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So this is what I think best because of the present distress, that it is a good thing for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek a separation. Are you free of a wife? Then do not look for a wife. If you marry, however, you do not sin, nor does an unmarried woman sin if she marries. But such people will experience affliction in their earthly life, and I would like to spare you that. I tell you, brothers, the time is running out. From now on, let those having wives act as not having them, those weeping as not weeping, those rejoicing as not rejoicing, <clears throat> excuse me, those buying as not owning, those using the world as not using it fully. For the world in its present form is passing away. The word of the Lord. The responsorial psalm. Listen to me, daughter. See and bend your ear. Hear, O daughter, and see, turn your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your Lord, and you must worship him. Listen to me, daughter, see and bend your ear. All glorious is the king's daughter as she enters. Her raiment is threaded with spun gold. In embroidered apparel she is born into the king. Behind her, the virgins of her train are brought to you. Listen to me, daughter. See and bend your ear. They are born in with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. The place of your fathers, your sons shall have. You shall then make them princes through all the land. Listen, Listen to me, daughter. See and bend your ear. Lord be on your heart and in your lips, may worthily and fittingly proclaim the good news in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Rejoice and leap for joy. Your reward will be great in heaven. Alleluia. 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 The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Raising his eyes towards his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when, you, when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you, and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. 
But woe to you who are now filled, who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So you should notice a couple things that happened when the deacon stood up. He came over and he said, Father, your blessing. Every time that we pro- proclaim the gospel, whether the priest or the deacon, we call upon the blessing of God to help us proclaim the good news. So if there's a deacon, the deacon will always stand before the priest. Or if there's a bishop, the deacon will come and stand before the archbishop or the bishop, and they will pray a prayer over him as I did out loud. And then he walks around, does the refrain from the Alleluia, and then greets everyone. The Lord be with you. And we say, and with your spirit. As he says a reading according to the gospel of whomever it is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, he takes his right thumb and crosses the gospel. Because as we were, again, signed at the beginning of Mass, as we were signed at the beginning of our baptism claimed by Christ, we are with our hands saying, this is the word of God. This is not me, Father. This is not me, Deacon, saying this. But these words are coming from the mouth of God. Goes through and reads the gospel. But before that, what is our response? The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. What is this whole thing? Well, if you watch Sammy Sosa in the 1990s, it's not the whole thingy. That's not it. May the Lord always be on my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. So though sometimes it looks like whatever, that's what that gesture is supposed to mean. May this word be always on my mind, ever on my lips, and always in and on my heart. And then at the end of proclaiming the gospel, He says, the gospel of the Lord, we say, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And notice always the priest or deacon or whoever's proclaiming the gospel, what does he do when we say that? He kisses the book of the gospels. The same way that we reverence the altar where Christ will be made present in the Eucharist, we reverence the book that holds the word of God. So when we have these different things. Many times our brains are in 50 million different places. We're on, okay, I just ate, my stomach is rumbling, I got out of the bathroom, or I'm not, we haven't eaten yet, how long is Father going to go? Because I want to go eat dinner, and I want to make sure we go to this place and not that place. I got to make sure that I'm good enough at Mass, that we can go get our treat afterwards, because Mom said, if I was good, we could get a treat. If not, then we can't. We have all of these things going on in our mind, instead of focusing on the why, why are we here? And so after we proclaim the scriptures, no matter how many readings there are, the gospel leads us to the homily. Now, there's a difference between preaching a homily and preaching a sermon. We've heard those, probably heard the word sermon more growing up, right? Has everybody heard the word sermon? Why? Because we are in what's called the Bible Belt. We are 3% of the Catholics in the world, in, in the United States. We are 6% of the, of the, of the um, people in Oklahoma as Catholics. The majority of Christians in the area are not Catholic. They're either Southern Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, other non-Catholic Christian faith traditions. And typically, when they choose the readings that they use to then preach from, they've chosen a specific thing that they want to say and found scriptures that go along to help proclaim that message. We have the lectionary. In a weekend process, there's a two-year cycle. Guess what we call those because we are really technical as Catholics. We call them year one and year two. Very difficult. But in those two years, typically you will hear the majority of the readings. In fact, if you go to Mass every day 
Take it back. That's for daily Mass. If you go to Mass every day for three years, you will have read 97% of Scripture in three years. The year one, year two, you'll hear throughout the daily Mass. So Masses that are scheduled Monday through Saturday across the world, you can go up and look and see what the daily readings are. If you have the books that we um, have in the um, chapel that are always in there, those have the daily Mass readings for every day of that month. You can go on the usccb.org, United States Council of Catholic Bishops. That's where I go as my cheat sheet. You go on there and you see what liturgical feast is today, what liturgical color we wear for Mass, and what the readings are for that celebration. You can find all of that in that easy, accessible place. And when we go through that, you'll see that the, the weekends are actually split up not into twos, but into threes. So if we did year one and year two for the daily mass, guess what we named the weekends? Year A, B, and C. So I feel like Michael Jackson had to have been Catholic. A, B, C, one, two, oh, we're going to go to three, sorry. But it really is as easy as A, B, C, and one and two, that's the scriptures. And so these readings are always specifically chosen hundreds of years ago to be read on this specific day. We don't pick and choose what we want. I was leaning over to Deacon during the first reading and said, could we have found easier readings to do for tonight? Because that first one from St. Paul, it's like, if you don't have a wife, don't get one. Really? Come on! Give me something besides that one for me to preach on. Because the difference, again, between a homily and a sermon, the homily is meant to take what the readings we have are and to help explain them, to break them open, to make them accessible. My typical way of doing that is trying to follow the method that Christ did, but he wasn't ADHD and I am, and trying to tell parables, trying to tell stories. That's what a parable is, is a story to help explain a lesson. So so many times I'll tell stories about my life or about my family's life or about experiences I've had in the church. Why? Because that's how I can understand it. And I know I'm kind of weird, but I know some of you guys are weird too. And you guys have had some similar situations. So I try and take my weird situations and the scripture's weird situations and hopefully in somewhere in that mess it makes sense to somebody at some time. And so when we go through and we're preaching... It's preaching specifically about what it is we've read. Sometimes I'll preach on the first reading. Sometimes I'll preach on the psalm. Sometimes the second reading. Sometimes the gospel. Sometimes there is nothing to preach on. Like there are some times where I'll read the readings and be like, I mean, yes, it's your word. What do you want me to do with it? But this week's reading, I think, is perfect for us because many times in our society and in our culture, they look at Paul the wrong way. This is one of the readings why. They thought that he hated women. Many people in the 1920s to the 2020s pigeon him as a misogynist, which is someone that doesn't like women. Someone that thought he he had to be in control of women. Because he's the same one that says, wives be subordinate to your husbands. Father, what are you doing tonight? You're bringing up the two most controversial ones. They're the Word of God. We have to talk about them. But in today's reading, we have to remember the culture and time that this was written for. Jesus had told his disciples, you will not see the end of the age before I return. So in Paul's mind, because he's a dumb human sheep like we are, he thought that that meant he wouldn't die until Christ came back. And if that's the case, why get married? Why have kids? Why continue to grow? We don't need to. We just need to put everything aside and put God first. Which then when we look at what marriage is for, begins ironically to make a little bit more sense. Yes, marriage is to propagate the faith, to continue the line, to have babies. That's part of it, yes. But just as important as that, husbands, your primary role as husband is to get your wife to heaven. 
wives, your primary role as wife is to get your husband to heaven. So what Paul was then speaking into was a world where he didn't think it would last more than 20 more years. If you can hold on for 20 more years without a spouse, do it. But if not, and and you have to get married, don't worry, you won't be sinning by getting married. Basically is what he's saying in today's first reading. Now we look at that in our 21st century and say, he knew nothing. Because we are now alive in 2022, and that's about 1980 years since this was written, and obviously he wasn't quite understanding what was going on, and that's very true. Christ tells us time and time again that we don't understand with the mind of God. We are humans. We will never be able to understand the total mystery that is God. But that doesn't mean we should stop. And Christ tells us in today's gospel how to live. He gives us the Beatitudes, but he also gives us the, yeah, but also the, whoa, lookouts. The Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. But woe to you if you do have a full belly. Woe to you if you are happy. Look out. It's not always going to be that way. This wasn't meant as a curse, but as a reminder to us, if you are really high, you're going to come back down. And he wasn't talking about drugs. He meant spiritually. If you are high spiritually, you will come back down from that. But if you are also in the valley of the shadow of death, be not afraid. The Lord has not abandoned you. You are blessed and you will eat someday. You will be better someday. Have hope. Have faith. So as we continue through Mass, I'm going to have a couple more times that we'll stop. But really once we start with the Holy, Holy, Holy through communion, I'm not going to do a lot of stopping. Uh, we actually have books um, out in the, sacrist- or in the vestibule area. We handed these out for the Feast of Corpus Christi this year, both parishes, um, called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. We've got about a box of them left um, back there. If you didn't pick one up during that time, I highly recommend, specifically to the adults, but to anybody that wants one, if we have enough, pick one of those up. It goes into all of the logistics of why Christ in his last supper, did what he did, said what he said, and has left us what he has left us in the Mass. So when we get to the Holy, 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 really through the great Amen, I'm not going to make any stops, but if we have any time at the end, I'll kind of open us up for questions. Good? Let us stand. Let us bring our prayers and our petitions before our Heavenly Father. We pray today for the leaders of the church, for Pope Francis, Archbishop Coakley, and for all bishops, priests, and deacons, that inspired by the good news, they may practice what it is they are called to preach. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of our civic leaders, locally, nationally, and worldwide, that they may always seek justice, but they may temper it with mercy, compassion, and peace. Let us pray to the Lord. For all of the sick in our community, and for all of our doctors, nurses, caretakers, and first responders, let us pray to the Lord for strengthening of marriages and for more vocations to the priesthood, the diaconate, and the religious life. Let us pray to the Lord in thanksgiving for the rain that we have received, but in prayers for more rain for an abundant harvest. Let us pray to the Lord. And thanksgiving for all of our youth and adults who will be in our religious education program this year, for all of those who are behind the scenes helping, and for all of the minds to be open and the hearts to be at peace as they go through this calendar year. Let us pray to the Lord. And for our beloved dead, and for those who will die this day, that through the mercy of God they may truly rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord and for all of the prayers at this time that we hold in our hearts. Let us pray to the Lord. Good and gracious God, we come before you this evening with our prayers and our petitions, 
and we ask through the intercessions of St. Matthew and blessed Stanley Rother that you may hear those petitions and grant them in accordance with your will, for you live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Mm-hmm. So as the deacon sets the altar, the first piece of cloth he puts down is called a corporal. That goes under what's called the patent, which has the host on it, um, and it goes under the chalice as well. So if there's any particles of the host that are fractured off, they stay on that, and then that gets cleaned in a special way after Mass. Um, because every portion of the Eucharist, even if it's the smallest particle, is still Christ present in the Eucharist. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. By the, mis- by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. With humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, May our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me of my sins. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. O God, who give us the gift of true prayer and of peace, graciously grant that through this offering we may do fitting homage to your divine majesty, and by partaking of the sacred mystery we may be faithfully united in mind and heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. She may have noticed that before everybody stood up, I did the, what's called the lavabo prayer, where I washed my hands. There's multiple different reasons why this happens. Part of it is a ritual cleansing of the hands before you touch the Eucharist, both for your own purity, but also for those that are going out. Um, there are other um, reasons for it. I've actually had to write 10-page papers on it, so I don't have enough time to explain it all. But there's a lot of different reasons as to why we do the lavabo prayer before we do um, the sacrifice of the Mass. Before Mass, I talked about there's a lot of prayers that are specifically meant for God. There's actually very little um, dialogue between the priest and the congregation. What we just did before we stood up, the pray brothers and sisters, that's one where I talk to you guys. And then we have what's called the communal dialogue, which is about to happen, which we know very well, and it goes, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Pretty much everything I say from here until the great amen, ironically, is not meant specifically for me to be praying to you guys. It's meant me praying these things to God. So many priests will, at this time, make no eye contact with the, with the congregation. Sometimes they'll look above the eyes of the people. They'll look up. Like, what's beautiful here is we have um, the resurrected Christ coming out of the tomb. So it's really easy to be like, Jesus is right there. But you guys normally don't see that. I do because it's right there. Um, but it looks like I'm talking to you guys for the rest of these prayers. But I'm actually offering all of these prayers that the church has given to us before God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your word through whom you made all things, whom you sent as our Savior and Redeemer, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin. Fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people, he stretched out his hands as he endured his passion, so as to break the bonds of death and manifest the resurrection. And so with the angels and all the saints, We declare your glory as with one voice we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Paul, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, through the blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages. We may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, you said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. May this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring eternal life to us who receive it. Amen. Lamb of God, 
you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world, grant us peace. In receiving your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment and condemnation, but through your loving mercy, be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Then may the body of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. Amen. May the blood of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. Amen. As I mentioned before communion, the corporal we lay down so that any particle that may fall of the Eucharist lands on the, lands on the corporal. But also one of the things that we do at the end of Mass, you'll normally see Deacon or myself doing this, it's what's called purification of the vessels, the vessels being what we put um, the Eucharist in for distribution. And any small particle that is left gets put into the chalice and then we purify the chalice. Typically, this is done by putting water in and cleaning out the chalice and purifying it. Um, in, in some larger situations or during the pandemic, many times they would use what's called a sacrarium, which would be in the sacristy. And it is a sink that's normally in a sacristy. You may be seated, sorry, while I'm explaining. Um, in the sacrarium that's in the sacristy, um, that is a sink that goes directly to the ground um, so that anything that is part of Christ, we have to either consume, burn, or bury. Um, so anything that's been blessed, you have to either consume, burn, or bury. So if there are old vestments that have been blessed or worn before, we have to either burn them or bury them. So every once in a while, there will be a bonfire where we will have old blessed things, old Easter candles um, that we will be burned in them. With the Eucharist, I feel really weird about burning them. Um, so I'll either consume what's left over, or my first year as a priest, I had a hornet fly into the chalice, which again is the blood of Christ. And so instead of consuming the hornet, um, I, I put him over to the side until the end of Mass, and then during the purification um, at the end of Mass, brought the, the um, chalice, and then buried by pouring into the, the ground um, Christ at that time. There's a prayer that goes along with it that says, what is past our lips as food, O Lord, may we possess in purity of heart that what we have been given, what has been given to us in time, may be our healing for eternity.
And for a mass to be what's called a valid mass, the priest must receive both species of the Eucharist. I have to receive both the bread, the body of Christ, and from the chalice, the blood of Christ. Nobody else has to except the priest must to either celebrate or concelebrate mass. I must receive both species. Now, during COVID and kind of continuing on because it was flu season and then COVID season and then we're getting back into flu season, we've refrained from using the, the cup at both parishes for the time being, hoping to bring it back in the spring after flu season. Um, but the chalice isn't a mandatory thing. And in fact, in many countries, the chalice is never distributed um, to, to the community, normally just for the, for the priest. Um, because in some uh, lower income countries, wine is expensive. Um, and so having that much for churches that are packed beyond the brim, again, Africa, the continent, went from 1 million Catholics to over 200 million in 100 years. Their churches are beyond standing room only. Six masses a weekend, 2,000 people a mass plus um, to be able to provide that amount of the precious blood for some places is just not economically possible, unfortunately, in the 21st century. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us pray. Grant that you are faithful, O Lord, whom you nourish and endow with life through the food of your word and heavenly sacrament, may so benefit from your beloved Son's great gifts that we may merit an eternal share in his life who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Didn't make announcements during the normal announcement time, I know. Um, so a couple things. Um, first of all, are there any questions about Mass in general? I know that sometimes we do what are called Catholic calisthenics. Stand, sit, stand, sit, kneel, sit, stand, sit, kneel, sit. We're just trying to keep you guys going. It's okay. We're trying to keep your hearts going. There's practical reasons about why we're standing. We stand for the Alleluia. Why do we sit for the other readings? Because the gospel, we believe, is the word of God. But just the words of Christ specifically are only spoken in the gospel. So we stand to honor the gospel. We stand to receive the Eucharist. Or in many places, we will kneel to receive the Eucharist. We can either receive the Eucharist since Vatican II, either in our hands, we form what's called a, an altar on our hands to receive here, or we can receive on the tongue. Either way, whatever you feel the most comfortable with um, is permissible. A um, couple things. If you, if you are going through First Communion this year or Confirmation this year and your parent is not here tonight, they need to be here next Wednesday. Uh, the adult class next Wednesday is going to be not just for the parents of First Communicants and Confirmandi, but they need to be here because part of it is specifically for those um, adults. But it's all of the class next week is going to be accessible to everybody as well. So for those that don't have kids, come back and be talking to you guys next week as well during um, the hour-long um, class. Um, as we go through class, um, as I mentioned, there is a book in the vestibule area called Jesus in the Jews' Roots of the Sacraments, uh, Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. If you want to pick up one of those, they should be on the table that's right behind where you checked in. Uh, if you want to follow along with the adult classes this year, uh, I post online about a month ago the book that I'm using to go through the virtues. I'll post it again sometime this week for, for like kind of an updated version of that. If you don't have any other questions... Going once, going twice, Deborah. So when you say the Lord's Prayer, small t tradition says you can do really whatever you want to. Um, based on our community, holding them by like this, holding them like this, some families prefer to hold hands, but not this, um, is what the church asks. Um, if you do it, 
you're not, it's not a straight ticket to, you know, but church asks us to do things, we should probably do them. Because um, they they've got 2,000 years of wisdom that I'm just trying to understand. Good question. Other questions? Drive safely. Thank you.